Strange Ride is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit strangerideshow.com and click donate to help keep the history of the weird on the digital airwaves. Savannah, you ready for this flipped episode? I'm so ready. This is our first Strange Ride flip. You're not ready. I Only because of what you, of course, picked to talk about today, which is like one of my worst uh, yes. fears. Today, I'm going to try and explain why grown adults love movies based on children's toys. Oh, well, that's not one of my worst fears, but that is a lot of what I am. So, <laughs> And I do not mean to suggest that I am better than you or any of those other grown adults. <laughs> While I don't generally love movies based on children's toys, I am not above actual children's toys like the Nintendo Switch, or YouTube uh, videos about children's toys that I used to have and play with when I was some children. (laughs) So I'm not trying to say today that I am better than you because I'm not into some of these movies. But my argument today is not actually about nostalgia, or at least not primarily about nostalgia. It's tangentially about nostalgia at best. I believe there's something far more nefarious tempting us to two-hour PG-13 entertainments about dolls, also video game characters, also Ninja Turtles. I think some of those are PG. And what I'm talking about, of course, the the nefarious thing that's tempting us, say it with me now, is capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Uh, it's also Steven Spielberg, who is kind of like if capitalism went to film school. <laughs> we we can't blame... Hot takes today. We can't blame the culture industry entirely, though, because it warned us at the very moment it was enacting its decades-long scheme to squeeze more money out of more age groups through a combination of merchandising and adult themes in a little movie Spielberg and company called Gremlins. Yes, my name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson, here uh, taking the reins on your strange ride, joined by your traditional host, Savannah Barrett. Hello, everyone. And Gremlins is the thing that I am absolutely horrified by. Rob was like, oh, for the first mic flip, I want to talk about Gremlins. And I was like, what the fuck? Why? (laughs) I hate, I don't hate Gremlins because the movie's awesome, but I'm so scared of them. Anyway. (laughs) Also, Johnny Cook, who just saw it for the first time. Yes, I saw it like two days ago. (laughs) <laughs> the my approach to our strange the my strange ride episodes is going to be a little different than what you hear on a call confessions yes we are in a pop culture podcast so i'm talking about pop culture subject matter but i'm also going to sort of like be bringing an essay to you all like a, an oral essay where i'm going to try to prove something to you that may be a little controversial and we'll interrupt you every now and then yes well no, no of course it's a bit traditional fair yeah. in that regard but i'm just saying like it's not here is the history of a thing like i do on the other show this is me trying to like make my case and, okay. and you may or may not agree with me we'll, so rob's we'll see. um soapbox this is my soapbox yeah <laughs> but with lots of history involved <laughs> about pop culture and making me think about gremlins <laughs> and barbie all in the same I sentence love barbie <laughs> <laughs> well guess what she's just a gremlin by other terms let's pledge it out Ooh, i don't think i know this pledge savannah <laughs> Now I'm like, I'm in a call confessions mind. Cool, because I'm doing the talking. <laughs> Not you. I solemnly commit, commit myself to keep my hands, arms, arms feet, legs, and legs inside the vehicle at all times on this strange ride. ride. I never get the feet and legs in the right order. 
Because if your feet are in parks. there, you'd think your legs would be too, unless you're like, kind of like bowing your knees <laughs> yeah, out. I was like, hands, arms, feet, and legs. I see. You went hands, arms, and then I see. So you're it's like, it's like head, shoulders, in. knees, and toes. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you figured it out. Sorry. The um, long ancient riddle of getting into theme park rides safely. <laughs> we want to encourage you, as always, to listen to our sister podcast, Occult Confessions, where you can hear more of our voices talking about various topics that are, are about like religion and stuff, and occultism and Gnosticism and snakes. <laughs> and women sleeping with snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, we also want to encourage you to consider donating on Patreon and uh, leaving us a review, please. Uh, we are a, a fairly new show to the podcastosphere, Strange Ride, that is. Uh, and we could use some of that love in the form of uh, dropping some stars on Spotify, reviews on iTunes, or anywhere that you're listening. And let people know on your yeah. social medias, friends. We'd, I would really appreciate that. It makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Just come on. <laughs> Isn't that enough, friends? Yeah. Just to give Savannah a little good feeling inside. Just a little bit of dopamine. But don't give her any good feelings or dopamine after midnight. No. <laughs> no, no. no, 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 no. You won't like what happens then in a sporting goods store. Okay. Shall we get underway? Yes. It is normal to be nostalgic for our childhoods. But for children of the 80s, so this will be nice for you guys, because I'm not going to pick on you as hard. <laughs> you just get to spectate me picking on myself. Okay. For children of the 80s, you guys are 90s kids, right? Mm-hmm. Late 90s for Late me. Late 90s, 96. yeah. 96. 97. Oh, yeah. look at us. <laughs> not too shabby. <laughs> Little Y2K babies. <laughs> Panicked about the end of the world, so let's have some kids. Four years old. What was I saying? I'm saying it's normal to be nostalgic for your childhood, but for children of the 80s, that longing has taken on the strange and sometimes perverse desperation of necromancy. I want to speak broadly about children of the 80s. I'm I'm going to do the same thing that scholars of the 19th century, of which I am one. We talk about the long 19th century because it's not like the year 1900 came and then suddenly the culture became 19th century style. The long 19th century refers to like that period that you know encompasses Victoria's reign, but all the industrial and technological changes are, like they stretch beyond the 19th century. That's also true of the 80s, in my opinion. The 80s, for the purposes of like the culture and all the things I'm talking about, actually start in the late 70s with the Star Wars movies and and merchandising and all that kind of business, and they last through the early 90s, where we complete and perfect all of the techniques that are born in the 80s or i guess are really born in the late 70s so it takes that so it's the long 80s and it's really um the zennials that i'm talking about we'll get there it's kind of like the 80s is the is the middle of that bell curve and then you've got the little couple years on each other end but you guys are children of this as well so you're not like excluded what happened during the 80s to me had never happened before is i guess what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. but once hollywood and the culture industry figured out how to do it they then did it to you you're totally also that oh yeah and you're probably I mean, more the audience now for like the super mario movie than i am because i have kids anyway i can so bring are you my saying kids, that this is star wars fault it's, yeah, Star Wars bears a certain amount of the blame for this. Yeah, well, so you're not going to love that. I know a lot about Star Wars. So <laughs> yeah, like, you're not going to love that. If you listen to the last month's episode where I talked about it for two hours <laughs> <Yeah>. straight. <laughs> 
So it's not enough for the 80s child to reflect wistfully on a simpler time. Rather, we often want to revive the mass cultural products of our youth in a way that maintains their appeal despite or perhaps perhaps because of the cognitive and hormonal shifts that come with adulthood. We want to have our childhood, but as adults. Okay. 80s children have done a decent job of keeping our favorite pop culture icons alive through the last 40 years, whether as creators or as hungry audience members rewarding corporations for doing a lot of gazing backwards. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have been rebooted and revived in various live-action and animated forms. The Ghostbusters have changed gender and personnel. The Transformers have had multiple successful runs at the box office. Even Super Mario has gotten nostalgic. In his most recent Odyssey adventure, with it, which I recently finished for Nintendo's Switch console... He periodically moves from three dimensions into two, allowing players to see the character in eight bits for the first time since 1988. Not coincidentally, Mario has also received his... It's not really an eight... It is kind of an eight bits, but no, it's like... It is. it's there's, there's all the other bits layered yeah. on top of the eight bits. No, but I mean, but it plays the same as the eight bit game. Exa- yeah, right. It doesn't have any of the fancy jumps that you have when you're out. And you can't throw Cappy when you're in the eight bit thing right no, that's yeah. true there is no cappy cappy was a brand yeah. new thing for odyssey no i know that but i'm just saying like when you're in the eight bit it takes away like some of the main yeah. mechanics of the game which is cappy yeah <laughs> like, you're literally well you're almost literally playing yeah. yeah it's clever like if mario has different outfits they'll follow him into the 8-bit yeah. world so it is it's cool but the reference is only for me to you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. you guys didn't even play 8-bit mario Mm-mm. i actually played a little bit but it's because your family was poor? Yes. <laughs> oh. The only Mario games that I've played that are standalone Mario games are like the original, like on Game Boy Advance. Oh, oh, like the, oh. Like the retro your family version. wasn't that poor. I thought you were on an NES. No, this is a Game Boy Advance <laughs> in like 2010. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then N64, Super Mario 64. I mean, my, my point here, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm going to be a bit of a video game nerd here. And folks who have listened to the other episodes, particularly Five Nights at Freddy's, know my feelings on video games. I like a difficult game. Mario is not a difficult game. It's not in a game for a grown adult who's good at video games. Well, they can be. They can be difficult. Whatever. He's just saying, oh, I'm just so good at video games. I'm, I'm not, though. I'm really not. Like, I'm not like an esports person. It's just like. Did you uh, go to the dark side of the moon in Odyssey? That yeah. shit was hard. Yeah, that was more difficult. <laughs> yeah. But it's also skippable and unnecessary. But that's. It's it's a challenge. It's fun. It is more challenging, yeah. But still, like, not. It's not going to keep me up at night. Like, Rob needs to play Dark Souls. I um, do play Dark Souls. Yeah, oh, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I finished Dark Souls. <laughs> okay, well I then Mario Dark- is not that. It's not that big. I'm not trying. To, I don't want to be that. I'm not that guy. I'm really not that good at it. I just like harder games, like an adult tent. But that's the point I'm trying to make. I just want to drive home that the Mario game difficulty wise is accessible to children like dark side of the moon is optional yeah you know what i mean and a child can get to the end of that game yeah no that's fair but that child who is the audience for the game at least in part doesn't understand what the hell is happening when mario drops into eight bits no yeah fair i would say that's true so that is targeted at me jap japan knows right shiguro knows (laughs) that me as an adult is going to pick up this game that he has also made for a child so he has made the game both for a child and an adult. He's made uh-huh. it for your inner child. Yeah. Right. He knows I'm playing this game, and he wants to reward me with my, this nostalgic throwback. 
Do you see, do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's, it's not about how good I am. <laughs> it sounded like it was a little bit how good you were. <laughs> They're just throwing that in, humble brag. Let's make him play Baldur's Gate 3 on Tactician and see if he says he's good at video games. Oh, yeah, but is that like a, are the, is that, that kind of game? I thought it was like a... Um, it's a turn-based. Turn-based yeah, RPG. Turn-based RPG, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm not necessarily good at those. And that shit will kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I finished Earthbound, but, you know, anyway... That's. I feel like you just finished anyway. Not coincidentally. I played it three times, Rob. Like I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm almost yeah. finished my I'm on third my first playthrough. playthrough. <laughs> Two hundred hours later, first playthrough. Oh my god! Not coincidentally, Mario has also received his own summer movie, at which more than sixty percent. Fun fact of the theater-going audience were over the age of eighteen. I can um, agree. Cooperate that. That's the word. <laughs> I saw it. The date came out. And I was surrounded by a bunch of adults. I don't think there were any kids in the movie theater. Right. And uh, the movie was fine. <laughs> I wasn't crazy about it. But it, literally anytime anything showed up that was slightly a reference, everybody around me laughed and pointed. And I was like, I okay. <laughs> I don't get it. Both Odyssey and the movie are full of references for adults. Yeah. Children oh, wouldn't get all, yeah. some of these things. Um Adults, who, adults, players who have decades of experience with this character. It's, Mar, Mar, I, we still have our, like, imagine, like, your grandparents still having a, an attachment to a childhood character, you know? It, it's a unique thing for our generation. My grandma has a Howdy Doody doll in the basement. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and we've always been so afraid of it that she used to when we would come over she'd cover it with a blanket right. so we wouldn't be afraid of it but the culture industry is not producing more howdy duty for grandma oh, no. if the culture industry can by the time I'm your grandmother's age they'll still be doing oh, Mario sure. content so the latest and perhaps most sensational iteration of 80s nostalgia is Savannah's favorite Barbie movie while Barbie was first created in the 60s, her recent blockbuster movie was created by Xennials. I uh, used that word before. Those are millennials born before 1985. Greta Gerwig and partner, I mm. forget his name, Bombeck. Those, they're both Xennials. Um, so th- they are 80s children who okay. made the Barbie movie. So Barbie's really an 80s Barbie. Yeah. Uh, she right, has rollerblades and stuff. They would have played uh, in the 80s and 90s with versions of the doll like Rollerblade Barbie, who I think famously like sparked and needed to be pulled off the shelves, and the jazzer-sizing <laughs> Great Shape Barbie and Ken. They, they actually, in the movie, they have a lot of um, moments where they cut away and they're like, this was a real Barbie. And there was like a one called like Grow Up Skipper or something where they move her arm up and her boobs would grow and make it bigger. Oh my God. And then they had a pregnant one named Midge and everybody was afraid of her. Yeah. Uh, there was one called Sugar Daddy Ken and they and he like looked kind of like a sugar daddy, but it turns out that like he just had a dog and the dog's name was Sugar. <laughs> he was Sugar's was daddy. That was that was pretty awesome. Um, it definitely did feel like it. it um, it's interesting with that movie too because it does it has a lot of humor of today and it, like it deals with a lot of the politics of today's politics, but it. It, um, it kind of throws it on its head because like Barbie is starting to not become a perfect Barbie anymore and it's they think it's because of the little girl that's playing with her is like growing up and so she goes to the real world and finds out that it isn't the little girl that's playing with her it's the mom that's mm. playing with her and the uh, mom is depressed and shit and that's why there you go yeah, so because Greta Gerwig is playing with her yeah. in making the movie uh-huh right uh, it's very self-referential, and it, it, unlike Mario or the Ninja Turtles movies, which are appropriate for children, 
Barbie's PG-13. Yeah. Uh, and tells the story of a child's toy to an exclusively adult audience. So yeah. even though my kids, my daughter actually did see Super Mario. She had no idea what was going on because we don't play video games yet. She's only five. Not that I started when I was five, so I should probably get her going. <laughs> My fault. Sorry. Apologies, yeah. listeners. I will get on that. But um, you can't let her be better than you. So right now, I, I have to make sure she's at least crappier at video games. For I keep keep a step ahead. Um, but here you are, right? This is a movie about a child's toy. That's what most baffled me about the movie is that it was about a child's toy, but it was not made for children. Like Mm-mm. children weren't invited to the party. Um, the the political themes and and all this, it, it's just too mature. It borrows its marketing strategy from the Marvel movies, albeit with very different subject matter. Barbie's incredible commercial success speaks volumes to the peculiar kind of arrested development that motivates us 80s children, but also 90s children's. Uh, uh, we need to think no further. We need to think no further, by the way, than the bronies. Oh, <laughs> we're bringing... Gotta bring in the bronies. Yeah, okay. A subculture of adult male fans of My Little Pony series, which started in 1981. What? I didn't realize it started all the way back then. Yes, My Little Pony. The adult male well, fans. Well, I knew that My Little... If you're an adult male fan, guess what? Your original My Little Pony was an 80s pony. No, but are you saying that bronies were a fan? Like, bronies were a thing since the 80s? No. Oh, that's I'm what I thought you were trying I'm saying My Little Pony was a thing since the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the bronies, their original experience with My Little Pony was in the 80s. So they can't let her, them go those little ponies from the 80s just like i can't let mario go just like greta can't let barbie go or she's being paid millions of dollars not to let barbie go well now now that it's like one (laughs) of the most successful movies ever weeks (laughs) before the movie came out she was just playing with dolls for fun (laughs) Um, in in movies like barbie the adult is invited back to childhood in a way that allows them to maintain all the rights privileges and preferences of adulthood This trick was first invented for the 80s kid, for whom popular culture self-consciously eroded the boundary between content for children and content for adults. The gremlins are beginning to creep around the corner. Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Childhood was commodified during the Reagan administration in ways it had never been before. Changes in government policy and technology brought more focus to the growing market for children's games and toys. As Ronald Reagan's Federal Communications Commission relaxed controls on children's programming, Saturday morning cartoons became, quoting here, half-hour commercials for toys. Hmm. So before, you couldn't create these marketing overlaps because the fact that you were selling a product off of a television show was in violation of federal law. But when Reagan came into power in the 80s, Reagan threw all that over. So that meant you could have a cartoon that also had a toy associated with it, and the primary purpose of both was to get the child to buy, buy, buy. Oh, that feels really scummy. But he also killed all the birds, too. (laughs) You went all the chestnuts. The success of Star Wars merchandising in the late 1970s gave birth to a whole industry devoted to creating characters that were televised, packaged, and sold as action figures. McDonald's capitalized on the merchandising craze by debuting the Happy Meal in 1979. Oh. It's really, like, it's kind of, when I started looking into this, like, my theory was that it was the all the 80s. And then every time I looked up how this worked... It, like it, it's just like the internet was telling me yes Rob you're right of course Rob <laughs> of course, you Rob. know it you've known it all along Rob 
1979, the first Happy Meal, Toys R Us, bolstered by the growing appetite for dolls and games, grew to become an international chain in 1984. It didn't start in 84, but it opened its first store in Canada in 1984. Oh. And it's making a comeback. It just announced oh, that it's opening like 25 stores in America again or something like that. I was like about that. to say that's nice, but that's just my inner 90, yeah, 80s child. It's like, oh, Toys R Us. It's coming back. Yeah, because I've, I've been in a Toys R Us like twice in my life, and Aww. they were magical experiences. They are, yes. though. For an 80s kid, there were two places you wanted to be, McDonald's and Toys R Us. Interesting. I can't imagine you what eating Chuck McDonald's. E. Chuck E. Cheese was until the 90s. Oh. Yeah. Where now were Chuck E. Cheese is competing with FNAF. So. <laughs> Mer- merchandising created a more intimate relationship between the child and the character that wasn't entirely new, but had been, never been as fully realized as the Masters of the Universe, He-Man and She-Ra, G.I. Joe, uh, My Little Pony, Thundercats, Jim, Transformers, or the Ninja Turtles achieved. Some of these shows have kept on, some not so much. We don't see Jim anymore. Thundercats even hasn't really had much of a revival, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of nostalgia for Thundercats. I didn't, I'm of course, sure there play was just like Joe's. There was just like a She-Ra show that was out a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. on, Netflix, on Netflix, yeah. yeah. Oh, good old, good old streaming, right? Can't let stuff go. I'm watching Futurama uh, again after like a decade. Oh, right? yeah. And the the yeah. new season. I just started watching it. Yeah. Very good. My favorite show of all time. <laughs> More of the same, but that's what we wanted. Yes. Yeah. But we rarely I just want get the nostalgia. Off of the I want nine right. seasons of the same <laughs> show. The same damn The same thing. episode. Slight changes. Yeah. Uh, the character had a life on the screen, is what I'm trying to say, and a life in the child's house. Like a souvenir from a fantasy land, the doll was a way for children to make a piece of that other world, that fantasy world, a part of themselves. The character had adventures created by animators and broadcast on the smaller big screen, but it also had quests created by children in their backyards. The character, held, moved, and voiced by children like me, became an extension of me in ways that no merchandise characters ever never non-merchandise characters ever could you had to merchandise to create that intimate relationship okay follow me so far yeah i mean like you you'd rather pick up a transformer because you saw it doing cool stuff on the tv than like just some random doll that would be given to you but or also something? you could then make the transformer go on adventures in your brain with the physical toy instead of only having the canon you've seen on tv okay which is what yeah so it's more like the merchandising is what's changing the alchemy of pop culture pop culture before like john saying would have just been like the tv show okay. there wouldn't have been this vast line of dolls and toys I gotcha. but now you can have the Both. whole thing you okay. can it's like you can pull it off the screen and hold it and play with it and, okay and that creates an intimacy that you didn't have with the character before i gotcha video game protagonists like mario link Mega Man, my personal favorites uh, the holy trinity of the <laughs> nintendo universe offered a far more constrained version some people might throw in simon what about tom nook from um animal crossing <laughs> what Not an 80s child. Uh, Offered a far more constrained version of this identification, but 8-bit heroes also became more intimate friends through the mass distribution of home video game consoles like the Sega Master System and the Nintendo Entertainment System. This is hard to imagine, but before the Atari 2600, kids had to gather their quarters and head to the arcade, which was a building separate from your house (laughs) where you went to play video games. 
that would suck. <laughs> that would really it, suck. It was honestly. more social, though. No, that's true. But then you can also nowadays play online with other people. Yeah. Imagine if you went to the arcade to play Baldur's Gate 3, and then the no. only the only console that could play Baldur's Gate 3 is lined up all the way no. around the, the arcade you couldn't play. And then play. you have a, one of the romance scenes, and everyone is Everyone saw it. The, the, Everyone's watching no. your romance. Absolutely not. I'm sure they have multiple cases for that. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, before the Atari 2600, you had to go to the arcade. The, the home console allowed game developers to profit off the sale of games now directly to consumers, as opposed to the arcade, where you, the arcade had to buy the game. Now you were profiting off of selling it to me. In the process, this transformed video games into an easily accessed component of domestic life. Commercialization bred characters shaped by mass market forces and customized by personal encounters in the home. Millions of people across the globe played Super Mario Brothers, but on my television screen, only I could get him through the hazards and challenges of the Mushroom Kingdom to rescue the princess. Millions also watched the Ninja Turtles, but in my house, Leonardo and Donatello were my own turtles, performing martial arts and fighting Shredder according to the show's canon, but as John's saying, also going on adventures with He-Man, exploring the mud pit behind my parents' shed etc etc according to my own whims little rob with his leonardo leonardo was my favorite uh this blend of intimacy and commercialization helps to explain why 80s kids can't let the pop culture of our childhoods go it wasn't just pop culture it was also a very personal part of our lives and identities and this then of course extends to you guys who had the same experience they invented it with me (laughs) We didn't just watch these characters, we were these characters. But the influence of mass merchandising can't fully account for the continuing adult demand for movies about Barbie, Mario, Michelangelo, uh, etc. Because 1960s Chatty Cathy and Susie Homemaker never had their own movies. (laughs) Nor did the 1970s Dawn Dolls. These are all toys the kids played with in these eras. Very popular toys, but we never had movies about these toys. Batman, by contrast, benefited from existing in both action figure and televised form. Follow me on Batman. In fact, Batman's revival gets to the heart of the strange alchemy of the 1980s mass market. In the 1960s, Batman was a children's television show. Also a movie starring Adam West. Mm-hmm. The violence was cartoonish, the sex was G-rated, and the tone decidedly comic. Was there sex in the Adam West series? Yeah, I mean, theoretically, Catwoman was like, there was like attraction there. But oh. by G-rated, I mean it didn't go further than there being this weird, you know, okay. sexual tension between them. In 1989, Batman returned in a PG-13 movie. Directed by Tim Burton, in which Michael Keaton's Cape Crusader struggles with the well, childhood trauma. Did PG thirteen exist by that point? It did in nineteen eighty nine. Oh, okay. We're coming for okay. it. Okay. Don't get ahead of me. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking because, like, I love that movie so much. That's it like did. one of my favorite movies of all time. Well, we're, <laughs> so. I'm going to talk about it a little more. So, let uh, me just compare, right? Uh-huh. So we have the nineteen sixties G rated, decidedly G rated. Pow, bam! Like the literal yeah. words are on the screen. In 1989, Michael Keaton's Cape Crusader struggles with his childhood trauma of his parents being murdered, and he stops Jack Nicholson's Joker from committing mass chemical homicide. Yeah. Well, but not before he kills a couple people. Right. <laughs> and you watch, like, the news reporters, like, die on TV and stuff. Yes. Oh, and then the parade at the end, and he's, like, gassing all the people. Oh, my God. That movie is crazy. Mass <laughs> chemical movie, homicide. Like, by falling into a vat of acid. That's, yeah, that's how the Joker became the Joker, too and like 
the dude like had to do plastic surgery on him and he was like the only way I could fix your face was to like glue it into that like, like smile that's horrifying. and shit. Oh, it's if you awful. ever showed a child just that. <laughs> it's so scary. I can still like perfectly picture his hand like slowly sinking into the vat of acid and Ugh. shit. It's awesome. <laughs> that movie is so good. <laughs> Not G-rated, decidedly. No, it's definitely not G-rated. I mean, you watch Batman get shot at one... Not Batman, Bruce Wayne get shot at one point, and the only reason he survived is because he put, like, a tray underneath of his shirt or something and stuff. But you watch him get shot. Batman, like 2023's Barbie, took a product made for children and matured it for an adult audience. Although the 1989 Batman was not marketed directly to children, McDonald's offered a Happy Meal featuring characters from its equally violent sequel, Batman Returns, a movie in which Danny DeVito's <laughs> penguin bites off a man's nose. And sexually harasses a bunch of women and tries to kill a bunch of babies, like literally kidnaps a bunch of babies and is going to throw them into a river or something, and puts a bunch of missiles on penguins. That's kind of cartoony, though. But, but Dan- you, you said you said the original Batman with Adam West started like with the the, the TV show and the movie in the '60s, right? Mm-hmm. For children. Twenty nine years later. <laughs> so Barbie. Well, no, I don't know, but yeah, but yeah I, like I, the, like the, the adult Batman was twenty nine years or so later um, than yeah. mm-hmm. the Adam West Batman. So they're literally marketing the same kids who are watching Batman in the '60s. Yeah. It's marketed to them, right? Like but exactly also children. But that was to Tim Burton's objection. So um, the culture industry's earlier successes that same decade with movies that crossed child and adult audiences made Tim Burton's adult Batman conceivable and the subsequent Happy Meal inevitable. Burton objected, though. This actually ended Tim Burton's relationship with Batman because hmm. he had was producing Batman for adults, which I, do, I think was really only possible because of the history that I'm going through, because of Gremlins, that you could make a Batman for adults that was also for children, because he didn't want it to be. Tim Burton said this is not for kids. Hmm. But then McDonald's got involved, marketed toys to children off a movie that was not for children, and they fired Tim Burton because Tim Burton had produced a movie that was not appropriate for children. You mean and Warner Brothers had fired him? They, he was, yes, removed from the Batman franchise after that movie because... After the second one, though. Because of McDonald's. Okay. He had never intended for McDonald's to become involved in his movies. I got you. So the first one was not marketed towards children. No, then. it was oh, for adults. But then they realized that kids liked Batman, and then they of did... course kids like Batman. Well, of course, no, I'm not <laughs> saying was that. Batman was created but... for children. Yes. No, I know, but also, but that movie was not made for right. children. <laughs> but that's what's confusing. Throughout the 1980s, the culture industry perfected a method for taking adult products and making them available, or at least interesting, to children. Let me tell you a little story from my childhood. One of the girls in my pre-K class, who looked just like the robot daughter from Small Wonder, only without the apron, she, that's a reference for people listening, not you two. She had a father, hey there, Hades kids. She had a father with a pair of VCRs at home, uh, and he used to make copies of popular movies. She would bring those movies in for the teachers to show at the end of the day on a 25-inch television they rolled into the playroom on a cart. Because, again, it's the 80s. <laughs> Not a flat screen, kids. This, this TV has dimensions. Um, I'll, I'm never, I will never forget the day that she brought Ghostbusters to class. <laughs> I will also never forget the fit my mother threw afterwards. Um, <laughs> at the tender age of five, I had been begging. Five, right? Pre-K. Let me say that one more time. Yeah. Pre-K. When I was five years old, I had been begging my parents to see the movie Ghostbusters. 
a movie my mother would not let me watch <laughs> under any circumstances. Because it is not for children. <laughs> Given scenes like one in which Dan Aykroyd's character Ray uh, enjoyed oral sex from a floating spirit, yeah. I absolutely see where mom was coming from. <laughs> I am not showing that to my five-year-old today. The teachers uh, protested to my mother that they'd only shown the appropriate bits, uh, and I do remember them fast-forwarding through the movie quite a bit. Mm. Um, but Mom pretty well shut down our class's afternoons around the TV for the rest of the school year. <laughs> she, I bet she, she was super right popular thing. in class yeah, after that. She, they had no idea, and I bet she wasn't the only one who complained. I, I just bet. know that she was upset uh. about it, and she said something. I mean, like, even some of the ghosts in that movie are scary. Like, the librarian at the beginning is oh, a pretty yeah. scary-looking ghost. I mean, the Slimer's not. Oh, but the gargoyle things, they're scary, too. Yeah, the yeah. end with that portal oh, yeah. thing, that's yeah. horrifying. Gozer, like, yeah. in and of itself is kind of terrifying. Honestly, humanoid marshmallow? <laughs> terrifying as well okay but that was my favorite character and the sigourney weaver plot with rick moranis like they totally have to bang in order to open the portal Uh it's just and then she's also like talking to bill murray like i want you inside yes yes and she's possessed (laughs) yeah 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 no none of this movie is actually not for children at all they just fast forwarded through the whole movie i do like the part where the eggs cook on the countertop though that part was cool when i was i like the refrigerator too when you open to the other dimension yeah Yeah. Um, anyway, so thanks, Mom. Given scenes... Uh, oh, what was I saying? Um, the reason I wanted to see the movie so badly and carried my own Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man to school, I was obsessed with the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, <laughs> was that I watched a kid-friendly animated version of Ghostbusters on Saturday mornings. The show featured the exact same characters, the same converted hearse and fire station, and the same Slimer and Marshmallow Man. Even though I was a relatively squeamish kid, I'll admit, I collected the often grisly merchandise, including a skeleton that could trap Egon and Winston in its ribcage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Egon and Winston. I think that it also oozed slime, nice. but Mom naturally would not let oh, me have the man, slime. But that's the best part of those toys. <laughs> naturally, uh, I was desperate to see the movie, right? Can you imagine if you're obsessed with this? IP essentially and there is this movie that's out there but you can't see it it's it's gonna kill you especially oh, yeah. if you're a five-year-old oh definitely um so I, I i was desperate to see the movie that had launched my obsession but the movie was as we're saying decidedly for adults or at the very least to teenagers Eventually, my parents let me watch some of a tape of Ghostbusters on our new VCR, a few minutes of city-crushing Marshmallow Man action, and that was it. (laughs) No Gozer. No. No library. None of that. Did you enjoy it? Yes, I loved it. That's all I really wanted, was to watch Marshmallow Man crush things, because he was the best. He is the best. I love him. Ghostbusters was far from alone in the way it straddled child and adult media. The Terminator and RoboCop were far worse in their depictions of graphic violence. Both were rated R. But they were marketed to children in analogous ways. RoboCop, you guys know this movie? I I mean, I know of RoboCop, but I've never seen RoboCop. So it satirized the relationship between masculinity, media, corporations, and the government, and the violence of the movie was part of the point, but none of what I'm describing was intended for children. 
Okay. The near death of Alex Murphy at the hands of a of sadistic criminals, including the dad from that '70s show, uh, and the impetus for his <laughs> resurrection as true story. That's who plays the arch villain. In the, anyway, the impetus for his resurrection as RoboCop uh, involved the gang haphazardly destroying Murphy's body parts one by one. Oh, brutal, brutally violent. So, like, you get to watch him. Yes, you watch huh. them, like. Yes. Like a song movie. <laughs> kind of. At that point. Uh, and yeah, I guess I sat through that. No problem. But uh, when I was adult, an adult, not as a child. Uh, so you, but because you have to destroy his whole body for him to need to be fully androided uh, into okay. Robocop. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, Robocop was turned into an animated TV series for kids the year after the movie was released. Hmm. Similarly. But why though? So like, do you think that. Was it like the movie came out and then they saw that kids were kind of interested in it? Or do they think that they were like, oh, but we could take this and tame it and turn it into a kid It depends on how much of a conspiracy theorist you are. Was Hmm. it an accident that children were interested in RoboCop? Or did they know when they created the movie that children would think the character is cool and that they could then market it accordingly? Mm -hmm. Even though the whole movie is not for children. Mm Mm-hmm. Vern Hover, what is the director's name? Uh, he made Starship Troopers as well. His movies are famously misunderstood because Aww. they're these... Well, they they skirt the line of satire so close to the edge. Oh. Like Starship Troopers, the actors themselves, like Denise Richards didn't even know that it was a satire, why she was making it, or, oh. or Doogie Howser. Yeah, they had no idea. Anyway, but that was the 90s. Hmm. This is RoboCop. <laughs> uh, we're was, also was talking the about... RoboCop like show kind of... Him as like a superhero kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah, kids well, love superheroes. The yeah. They've always loved superheroes. Cartoon. Yeah. yeah, he's going around. It's like the Batman in the '60s, beating the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. but there's this movie yeah. that's sticking in the background <laughs> that is grisly, horrific, and satirical and and deep, and about corporations controlling the justice system. And it's like if the first Tim Burton Batman was before the Adam West. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. And the same is true of Ghostbusters, as if the first Tim Burton movie is before. It's still happening in that direction. Terminator does the same thing. A series of video games released for both Nintendo and Sega in the early 90s, in my long 1980s. But the Terminator movies are not for children. Graphically violent movies. And terrifying. Just like my action figure made me feel like a part of the children's television show belonged to me, animated series like Ghostbusters and RoboCop made kids, often young kids, not even in grade school, feel like a part of the adult mass cultural world pertained to and had interest in them. I wanted a piece of the adult entertainment world at five. (laughs) Ghostbusters and Robocop existed in the adult sphere, which gave children the impression that we were missing something. There were occult secrets in adult media, without which we could never fully grasp the awesomeness of our favorite characters. Hmm. Right? Wouldn't Mm -hmm. you feel this way as a child? I definitely felt this way as a child. I mean, this is what inspired this whole thing that i'm doing right now is yeah i saw the barbie movie and i thought about ghostbusters right away <laughs> it just all That's clicked so together do, do you think do you think adults that liked the original like move like robocop movie watched the show the marketed TV for show? kids yeah i don't i doubt like if it they really liked robocop i mean i guess it's possible I why mean, not because that would happen nowadays so like star wars people watching rebels yeah like rebels is for kids but like but it's it's good though <laughs> yeah that's what i mean like 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 star wars fans will like watch stuff because it's star wars it doesn't really matter who yeah. it's marketed my towards. point yeah, exactly. is what disney's up to with that was invented at this time period okay what exactly what's happening there is the overlap of adult and child media adults 
consuming media that is theoretically made for children. That's the Super Mario movie. That's the Ninja Turtles movie. (laughs) That's bronies. What about, where does Bluey fall into this? Oh, Lord. Bluey? (laughs) Bluey? It's like the best TV show ever made, but it's literally made for babies. No, No, exactly. It's it's, it's these Australian or New Zealand dogs that make parents uh, look bad. Australian cattle dogs? Yeah, yeah nice. they're, I have they're, one of those. They're, they're perfect parents, and they are perfectly they're, they're raised healers. their children. They're yeah, the healers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's awesome. Bluey's <laughs> oh, anyway. amazing. <laughs> uh, yes, sure. But unless you're like a dad, and you're like, I can't be that freaking patient with my kids all the time. While it's common well, for children, yeah. Bandit's the best dad in the world. Rob. <laughs> right, that's the problem. While it's common, he's a millennial. <laughs> Can't, he's a millennial. While it's common for children to desire access to adult media, the culture industry traditionally pushed back. Let's also think about this. Until the 80s, the culture industry told children, this is not for you, you're not allowed to have this. Oh. In 1966, the Motion Picture Association of America replaced the Hayes Code, uh, which involved voluntary self-censorship of all movies with the rating system. This is true. So movies before 1966 are generally not rated because they followed a code that made the movie for a general audience in theory. Oh. There was no curse words and, you know, sex was limited and all these sorts of things. Okay. Uh, The system was more permissive than the Hayes Code, the new rating system, because it allowed you to have more sex and curse words and violence in your movies because not all movies were striving for the same standard anymore. Now you just had to hit the PG and if you couldn't hit the PG, then fine, you made an R movie. But it allows the R movie to exist where it might not have existed in 65. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, permitted... Uh, but but in 1984, the same year that Ghostbusters rated PG... Ooh, I saved that. Mm. Ghostbusters... Let me say that one more time, Savannah. You just <laughs> told me all that adult content. Yeah. Rated PG. Which is crazy. Insane. Yeah. Uh, and Terminator were released, rated R. Oh, I was about to say, there's no way Terminator was <laughs> no. rated PG. They were both released okay. in 1984, the same year Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was deemed too violent for a PG rating. I agree with that, though. Watching that guy rip that dude's heart out of yeah. his chest like scared me so bad. Well, the censors agreed. The people who rated the movies and Steven Spielberg pitched a little fit. <laughs> The invention of the PG-13 rating suggested the tension mass media producers were causing with their hope for children to consume more mature content. Why would Steven Spielberg pitch a fit that his movie was rated R? Because he wanted children to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. And he knew if children didn't come to the movie, it would not make as much money. Mm. Because Steven Spielberg is capitalism who went to film school. (laughs) So there was no PG-13 originally? Not until that movie. And it's crazy, Mm. too, because Raiders of the Lost Ark... Is not a PG movie either. Neither like, is Gremlins, I'm about to argue. No, I mean, obviously <laughs> not, but like, I mean, at least with Gremlins, there's like comedy. Well, I guess Do you Indy know what Gremlins comedy. is rated? PG. PG 13 didn't exist. Oh. Oh, it's the one of the reasons <laughs> that it, that it oh, subsequently was no, it created. It definitely should not be PG. But I'm just thinking with Indy, like you literally watch that dude's face melt at the <laughs> yes. end. Like even I have trouble now as an adult watching that part because <laughs> it's scary. The new rating gave parents permission to let their children see movies they might otherwise have forbidden and satisfied the cultural industry's desire for a larger audience. PG-13 says, well, it's not R. So it can't be that bad. Right. It's allowing Spielberg to sneak what is R-rated content 
into a movie that is not qualifying for PG. Interesting. Yeah. So is it Temple of Doom the first PG-13 movie ever? That's my understanding. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess to be fair, though, like, there is a difference between watching him cartoonishly rip that guy's heart out than like a Saw movie. Yeah, but the Saw movies were not even dreamed of no, in the 80s. No, no, you're but right. I, I mean, I guess if we're thinking you're like right. Hellraiser is a pretty violent oh, movie. Oh, Hellraiser. In the 80s, that was not a cartoonish ripping out of that man's heart. No, that you're was, right, though. Yeah, you're right, right though. for the special effect. I yeah. mean, if you think about Hellraiser and compare those special um, effects to... I mean, Hellraiser... I only just watched that like a year ago, and it's one of my favorite horror movies now, it's but so that good. movie is fucked up. Yeah, it's terrifying. Though I don't even know how they did the effects of the guy crawling around in the... Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> None of this is to, to suggest that the culture industry, particularly Hollywood, was wholly uncritical of its own impact on children. And now we're getting to the thing you've been waiting for. The industry <laughs> expressed its misgivings in the genre known as much for its disturbing images, as we're talking about with Hellraiser, as its conservative ideology. Also Hellraiser, right, where he's punished for his sins and for, you know, the cheating, the cheating wife and all these characters are punished. And it's the innocent daughter who comes out okay. Yeah. You're remembering all these things. No, yeah, but like... I'm... It's basic 80s horror movie thought process. The sinner is punished. It's always yeah. the innocent that makes it out. Yep. But she was like tempted and shit. She and was, stuff but like she that. overcame but it. But you're right. I mean, but she Got did play with alive. the thing. She did. She shouldn't have played with that thing. <laughs> what is it? The, the, the fucking box or whatever. Yeah. The labyrinth Whoa, puzzle yeah, thing. The puzzle, yeah. Yeah. What I'm talking about, though, is not that movie. <laughs> I'm talking about Child's Play. In 1988, Child's Hold Play. Hold on a second. I'm getting Child's there. Play. I'm getting there. We got to start with Child's Play. Child's Play, I'm going to spend a lot of time on Gremlins, so just give me a second. Okay. Child's Play told the tale of a doll magically possessed by a serial killer <laughs> who went around slashing and murdering. Mm -hmm. The commercials and poster for, posters for Child's Play so disturbed me as a child that I took my <laughs> my buddy doll and tossed him in the closet, <gasps> refusing to take him out no matter how many times my parents asked about Wait. him. Wait. Your parents bought you a Chucky doll? The, it was a My Buddy doll. It no, was not a Chucky doll. No, I know, but was that a thing before the Chucky movies? Correct. I'm going to explain. Oh, oh that's terrifying. I did I not didn't know, know that. that. <laughs> the resemblance between Chucky and My Buddy was no accident. In the movie, Chucky was a good guy doll. Oh, that's what it, yeah. My doll was a My Buddy doll. But oh, come on. Yeah. Good guy, My Buddy. And they were roughly the same dimensions. They wore roughly the same clothing. Wow. Um, According to the movie's creators, Chucky was an amalgam of several dolls going back decades. And it is true that there's a doll in the 70s who looks almost identical to Chucky. Mm. But the My Buddy doll, like there was, it was so... I gotcha. It was similar enough that it, it caused me nightmares. Uh, his immediate counterpart in the 80s was a toy commonly found in many little boys' bedrooms. Chucky wasn't created for a child audience, but his pervasive presence in the culture was difficult for a child like me to miss. Oh, I yeah. knew about him. Oh, yeah. In Child's Play, the toy had dark secrets. Even and, my little brother nowadays, I'm sorry not to yeah, interrupt you. Um, YouTube is kind of doing that thing nowadays, too, where these like children content creators mm. will be like, don't answer the phone. The, don't answer the phone at three three a.m. And it'll be like it, you'll see a YouTuber do it, and a like Chucky will call them and then try and murder them. Oh. Like my little brother knew who Chucky was. He's like twelve now, but well, like, yeah, but when he, he was and he younger. would know who Pennywise was, Ooh. who is terrifying yeah. and not anywhere close to being for children. But he knew who Pennywise was because these children YouTubers were like, "Oh, Pennywise called me at three a.m. and now I'm gonna die." Like, but then they 
portray it as this is real life too so my little brother was like holy shit and you're a child so yeah this clown could call me at 3 a.m and i'm gonna die i mean i guess do they get views this way i don't they understand do. the motive yeah, the 3 a.m so. thing has kind of become a meme now but for adults because adults are like oh that's so fucking stupid but for children they're like oh shit 3 a.m is like the time that bad guys call you to kill you i don't so, know it's weird i view the chucky doll as a confession um of hollywood it's confessing its sins in the movie the toy has dark secrets and poses an immediate threat to the safety of the child who is playing with it this is a highly contrived scenario right with this it's racist like there's voodoo involved and how a serial killer getting his soul into a doll like it's just really insane but it's a critique of its own incursion of Hollywood's incursion into childhood innocence or the culture industry. I can't really just say Hollywood because we're talking about animation studios going all the way to Korea. Um, the 80s doll had become much more than a toy. It was an extension of intellectual property with not-so-secret links to adult media that, like Chucky, eroded the psychic barriers defending children from adult content. So I really read mm. Child's Play as a, like a perhaps an intentional critique of that whole industry of merchandising dolls to children that are pulling children toward adult media, That's... which will then really like suck out their innocence in the form of these images, like that... the YouTuber. That's really interesting. I've never watched Child's Play all the way through, or at least the original one. They released one the, like a couple years ago yeah, with Mark Hamill, and yes. it was all about AI and stuff. I saw <laughs> that one, but I'm in love with Mark Hamill, so that's the only reason I went and saw that one. Um, I would like to watch it with that in mind. I feel like that would make it more interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll. I think it it'll adds a dimension to it, but it, I mean, the movie's so... It's not like you're going to find new things in it no. as a result. I mean, I've but, never, yeah. I mean, it's just sort of a straightforward <laughs> I mean, plot. The opening scene is a serial killer running into a toy store, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I right. think so, yeah. Like, it, that says everything you need to know That's about everything. what they're trying to say about merchandising. But wait, there's more. Because I don't think Child's Play is at near the level of meta self-hatred as 1984's Gremlins. <laughs> which is credited alongside Temple of Doom for prompting the creation of the PG-13 rating after having been rated PG. So it's possible Temple of Doom was rated PG. I'm not sure. Yeah, you can look it up. Um, So Gremlins cut to the heart of this mass cultural project. Despite its controversial rating, the movie was heavily merchandised, merchandised and marketed to children. Let me just tell you about one of my favorite episodes of The Letterman Show. Temple of Doom is rated PG. Yeah, there you go. So it's Gremlins in this movie that caused the culture. Were they the last two movies before PG thirteen? I I mean, they should have been rated PG thirteen. Is the argument the first movie ever to receive a PG thirteen rating was Red Dawn, Hmm. a speculative war film about a group of Colorado teenagers. Oh, this is when Russia like invades and they have to. When did that that come out? I'm curious how far after 1984. Yeah. When did that come out? Probably right away. July 1st, 1984. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So it's oh, right yeah. in the middle and of the year. Gremlins came out in June. Even though it's a Christmas yeah. movie. It, but a Christmas <laughs> slash horror film. It's so weird. We're going to get into it. I love it. So uh, let me tell you about Pee Wee Herman for a moment. I love Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> in a moment of satire played so straight it was easy to miss, Pee Wee Herman showed off his collection of Gremlins merchandise on David Letterman's 1984 Halloween show. 
Herman covered Letterman's desk with bendable dolls, cereal, gum dispensers, candy, all the while joking about executive Steven Spielberg's need to have his name on the cereal box. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's gremlins. Even though he's just a producer, he didn't even like write it or Didn't direct Steven it. Did Steven Spielberg direct Pee-wee's Great Adventure? Oh, no, I don't, I don't, that I don't was think Burton. So. That was Tim yeah. Burton. Never mind. Uh, the endless parade of objects showed the excesses of Gremlins merchandising. Uh, Letterman remarked to Herman that he had a lot of dough tied up in Gremlins. <laughs> And the adult Herman's childlike character pointed up the absurdity of these products designed to market a horror movie to children. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard not to see it as Pee Wee Herman is, like, schlepping out all of these toys. Yeah. You're thinking about him as an adult and as a child and seeing the, like, crazy disconnect. Gremlins tells the story of Gizmo, a Christmas present from a comically bad inventor to his adult son. In his first moments on screen, the helpless, big-eyed, furry, elfin Gizmo is cuddled by his new owner and chatters like a toddler. When Gizmo is accidentally doused with water, it reproduces asexually, and its offspring are the same brand of cute as their parent, but not the same kind of friendly. No, and they also were not nearly as cute. <laughs> they also definitely designed them to look a little bit meaner. <laughs> and they were not very nice to Gizmo. No, they were so him. When he sees the new set of gizmos, the inventor muses in a moment of... No, Mogwai. Right. Uh, <laughs> a moment of self-incriminating meta-commentary, the inventor says, I'll bet every kid in America would like to have one of these. Come on. Mm. This is a movie sticking its thumb in our eyeball and saying, <laughs> F you, I'm selling these to you right now. Walk outside of the movie theater into the gift shop, please. These new mogwai are mischievous and manage to eat after midnight, causing them to form hideous alien-like cocoons. The gizmos turn gremlins finally emerge from their pulsing, oozing sacks, and the tone of the movie shifts abruptly from a quirky Christmas story to a grisly horror movie. We're talking about 40 minutes of this movie mm-hmm. is a quirky Christmas movie. Yeah. And I... Uh... I still have like these images burn in my brain of the cocoons and how disgusting they look and then the like pupil stage. Oh yes. I hate oh my god, it really like I can't think about it without it like filling me with anxiety. It's really bad. A science teacher is stalked through his classroom and murdered under his <gasps> desk. Murder I number one. About that. See when I was a kid The black man. They killed a black man. Um that they they always do first. Uh, bastards. But, uh, I remember I rewatched it as an adult on Christmas Eve with my family. I thought I was brave enough to do it. Couldn't sleep that night because I was so afraid of that. I slept on Christmas Eve like last year. But, um, but I remember watching that scene and being like, I don't remember this as a child, but this is horrifying as an adult. A housewife cautiously ascends to a gremlin-filled attic, kitchen knife in hand. Her son calls and tells her, Mom, they've hatched. Get out of the house. Remember, this was a Christmas movie, a quirky Christmas movie, (laughs) two minutes ago. (laughs) That released in July. No, in June. But Mom is resourceful. First, she kills one of the hideous monsters in a blender. Then she stabs another to death and explodes a third in the microwave. Uh, A classic 80s trope. I hated that part. The... Those ones always scared me the worst for some reason, like with the yellow icing all over their face. <laughs> they were eating cookies, but for some reason that part bothered me. 
scared me so bad. A fourth one is beheaded and its detached cranium fries in the fireplace. The gremlins go on to a sexually spawn an army in the YMCA swimming pool. <laughs> Another scene that has given me nightmares. Watching all like hundreds of them walk out of the YMCA is literally <laughs> burned into my brain. I think this is a powerful image, Savannah. It reveals the gremlins as a stand-in for mass culture and its considerable means of reproduction, which, as Herman demonstrated with his collection, had already been applied liberally to gremlins on screen and off. The gremlins are mass-producing. They have been mass-produced. They are a mass-produced product. This is their function. But they're not out for anything good. Just chaos. <laughs> Sound like anybody we know? Steven Spielberg? I blame the YMCA. <laughs> yeah. It's the YMCA's it's the YMCA's plan. They need to lock up their pools better. <laughs> Another tunnel change introduced arguably the most tiresome sequence in the movie as the gremlins ran amok, comically killing the neighbors, drinking and smoking, playing inscrutable games with puppets. I literally had no idea what was happening there and swinging from the ceiling fans. Well, and then, like, they, it seemed as if they were killing, like, every person they came across, but then the love interest who was at the bar, they were just like, yeah, you're going to serve us at the bar. Right. <laughs> Like, yeah oh yeah oh yeah maybe and also like were they paying her <laughs> like they seem to know how a bar her worked. monologue about her dad dying is the I best know. part of that movie that though so, <laughs> so, so good too. and what did she say she's like that's when i learned santa claus wasn't real, real and, like her, bo- her dad's body is rotting in the chimney it's so awful <laughs> they so the creatures are finally incinerated by a gas explosion spoiler alert while watching disney's first full-length animated feature Snow White. Mm -hmm. I call this an insincere suggestion that the industry could rescue the viewer from its own assault on childhood with wholesome content. The gremlins are destroyed by Snow White. The movie is, I think, like facetiously saying yeah we're gonna ruin your childhood child who's in this movie because we talked you into coming to this movie with all the merchandising. We can save you, though, with the old-school 1930s Disney animated movies. Look, the animated movie kills the evil gremlin. You're going to be okay, kid. But it's too late, right? The cat's out of the bag. Do you see that, though? Uh Do you see how that symbol works? it is interesting. Um, I mean, and it's a pretty fucked-up scene, though, still. Like, I remember watching, like, when they light it on fire, and you can see them all trying to, like, escape the building. Yeah. But we're not done. No, because Spike survives. Rather than a G-rated ending, the tone shifts back again to a horror movie uh, as the lead gremlin attempts to massacre the protagonist with a chainsaw before being <laughs> melted by the sun. Yeah. Poor Stripe. Uh, oh, it is Stripe. It's not Spike. Oh, wow. Because he's, he's the only one with hair. Yeah, he's he got is. a mohawk. He is. A funny story about Stripe, too. Um, The the second Gremlins movie takes place in New York. So when you go to New York, there's a lot of Gremlins merchandise everywhere. And when I was a kid, my sister, Alex, who sometimes listens to this. So hello, Alex. I'll see if you remember this. Um, We were walking through New York, and she saw a Gremlin bobblehead of Stripe. And she purposefully put it directly in my face. And it made me so upset that I punched her (laughs) and knocked her to the ground. And my grandfather was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> and he drags us down the street in New York City. 
and I didn't get in trouble <laughs> because he, he was like, how dare you show her that Kremlin? <laughs> Let me do a little more close reading here. The poor quality of the inventor's products is a running gag throughout the movie, mm-hmm. right? They work at first, says the mother, but then they start to go bad. In other words, the father is peddling junk the consumer is bound to regret purchasing, Mm. much like the gremlins themselves. But the whole movie functions in much the same way, promising a PG entertainment for children that turns out to be no such thing. 40 minutes in, parents suddenly regret bringing their 10-year-old into the theater. I'm wondering, like, have you read anything about, like, parents being like, I regretted bringing my parents, I mean, my kids to see this movie? I mean, I'm going to talk about some of the complaints that came, but yes, this is why the PG-13 rating had to be created. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, I just don't, because it's been around for so long now. At this point, I think... I was talking but to my... I still wouldn't show my kids. No, absolutely not. I <laughs> they can watch the watch first it. 40 minutes. Yeah, they can watch the first 40. Yeah. And that's how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> Corinne would be fine with it. <laughs> okay. I was, I was talking to my dad about it and cuz he was like, yeah, that movie like literally traumatized me when I was a kid. Yeah. Like cuz This is why. You know. Because you as a child thought it was for you and uh-huh. then it wasn't. <laughs> At least Ghostbusters I knew all along as a child that it wasn't for me and I got to watch my 2 minutes and get out of dodge. Gremlins which was the same year as Ghostbusters, did not make it clear that it was its tone was for children, or at least open to children enjoying it. Did it show the creepy gremlins at all in like the trailer and stuff, or, or like people didn't you could watch buy trailers them. They were as merchandise. much? Oh, okay. yeah, you could buy them before the movie came before out. Before the movie came oh, out, wow. But I don't think their creepiness was the whole. I mean, it was the microwave and all those like tropes of eighties horror. You no, know? yeah, no, that's true. Um. Anyhow, uh, but this inventor, right? There's a character in the movie who's showing you what the movie is doing to you while you're watching it. That's weird. Uh, But it does, like, does it change anything that, like, he wasn't supposed to have the Mogwai? Like, he stole it. He did steal it. Like, the dude was like, you can't handle this. It doesn't change the fact that his products, like, this running gag No, I'm just wondering if this changes, like, if there's anything to, to... him being like, I want to buy this for my son. And the guy was like, you cannot have this thing. And then he takes gizmo anyway. And imagines him as a mass-produced product. mm -hmm. He's kind of a villain in that way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's his fault that all those people died. But it's precisely (laughs) what the movie is already doing to us yeah. in our childhoods. It's like you can't have Mass this murdering thing our and then the dude is like, yes. no, yeah, no, but you can have this thing, child. Yeah, and you want it. Don't mm-hmm. you want it? The producer's capitalist ambitions, like the inventor's, trump any sense of responsibility to the public. In this way, the hideous gremlin was the true underbelly of the cute gizmo merchandising scheme. The gremlins were cuddly and ugly, funny and murderous, straddling the genres of comedy and horror. Gremlins represented the culture culture industry taunting its own consumer. They seem to be confessing, we will sell you cute and funny, but what you'll get is dark and gruesome. And if you think you've seen the end of it, there's plenty more where this came from. Indeed, the movie's commercial success, finishing second to Ghostbusters at the box office, guaranteed that the formula Gremlins had established for profitability would be repeated again and again in ways we've already more or less discussed hmm. Batman etc did Gremlins come out before Batman? Oh, 1984 yeah, was, five yeah, years earlier was, yeah. the culture industry was anxious to expand the limits of what was acceptable content for children and thereby maximize the size of the audience for its products but its products were increasingly haunted by this intentional subversiveness 
The Little Mermaid, the movie that launched the Disney Renaissance, which was, for those of you who are not Disney nerds, a term that is used to refer to the return to profitability for the corporation's animated full-length feature film business. This movie was troubled by controversy, a weird controversy. The company was accused of having placed a penis in the sandcastle-like structure. (laughs) Didn't think I'd bring this up today, did you? Uh, On the movie's cover. And some viewers claimed that the priest at the prince's wedding had a visible erection (laughs) Mm -hmm. under his cassock. Although I think there's some proof to, not the priest thing, but the um, the, (laughs) The penis. penis. They're both. I mean, but um, the one on the the cover of the movie, it wasn't necessarily like in the movie itself, but on the cover of the movie. Just on the cover. Supposedly, yeah. there was like an animator who was getting fired and purposefully did it. That's the legend. I, I've also read that it was not supposed it to look. Just, he just didn't know that it looked like a penis. Yeah. yeah. Which fair enough, because honestly. I, I don't think it does that That's, much. That was but... Disney's company line, is that the guy just didn't realize that it looked like a penis. Gotcha. Uh, so those were the perfectly innocent explanations for those incidents. Um, they showed how boundary pushing, though, could come back to bite the industry. So people were looking. They were assuming that oh. weird stuff was starting to happen in these movies. Walt Disney in 1930 was not worried about this. No. But in 1990, 1983, now that our hackles are up since Gremlins, parents are looking out for this stuff. Interesting. I'll, I'll tell you um the, the subtext of the movie which let me just be honest let's just think about this for a second the little mermaid which featured a naked teenager rising from the ocean like a supermodel just think about that scene for mm-hmm, what you can mm-hmm. picture it right now can't yeah, you her mm-hmm. hair flailing back yep. she's butt ass naked 15 year old girl yep um, 16 rob my, my apologies she goes, i'm 16 years old sorry <laughs> sorry Uh, But this invited viewers to see sex hidden under the surface. It's an obvious invitation because you're like an adult in the movie having weird feelings suddenly about a 16 year old cartoon. So you're going to think, what is going on? What are they doing here? What is my children are here? Right. Hmm. Odd. Think about like Jasmine in her BDSM phase at the end (laughs) of the movie. I I have to. I have to. She's sexy enough, and then they make her sexier and chain her up. Because they put her in red. (laughs) And there you are with your eight-year-olds. Yeah. No. We talked about this. Yes. Right. I can't stop bringing it up. It haunts me. I mean, Princess Leia. Oh yeah. 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 Supposedly, like George. Luke is telling her that she couldn't wear underwear because there was no underwear in space or some bullshit. <laughs> so apparently that's, that's like a thing. That's true. Yeah, yeah, astronauts don't wear underwear. I've read that. Uh, that's not true. I was about to say, hold on a that's second. That's not true. That sounds like bullshit. They have like layers of clothing yeah, on it's as like, far It's as like I made know. out of aluminum or something. <laughs> For space reasons. <laughs> sure. <laughs> in 1990, another story, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie ran into trouble in the UK when a government aversion to martial arts violence, which was kind of racist, led to the studio <laughs> editing out some of the Turtles' weapons and retitling the movie The Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles for a British release. Hmm. This is true. <laughs> in the sequel, the Turtles didn't use... This is... Okay, so also, we'll go back and watch the sequel the see i think it's the secret of the ooze was the second one i I loved that movie notice how the turtles never use their weapons they don't use their weapons in the uk or america they instead resort to combat with bare fists baguettes and sausage links (laughs) (laughs) i don't 
remember there that. There is a scene where Leonardo is in a net and he has swords strapped to his back and doesn't remove them in order to get himself out of the net. What does he use? His sausage? He just waits, I think. I can't remember how he gets out of the net, but he, he literally has the means to cut himself out in seconds. Mikey comes in with a skateboard and goes, come on, dude. Yeah, just like drags <laughs> yeah. it. They throw pizza at each other. The public backlash to both of these movies was perturbing, but if I'm being honest, it did little to impact their profitability, and the industry was hardly chastened by this. The Ninja Turtles was second only to Batman in its opening box office sales, and The Little Mermaid was the first animated film to break $100 million in its initial run. Mm. People do love naked 16-year-olds. Well, that's not the only thing the movie has going for it. (laughs) Prince Eric. It does have a, a Jamaican crab that may or may not be racist. <laughs> and a fish that may or may not be a real fish. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Know that. It's not fish, not any real fish. A random fantasy fish. But, you know, it is a mermaid, John, so I guess we'll let him slide on flounder. <laughs> the songs are good. Yeah, all right. Today, the industries. Uh, you also watch that <laughs> traumatizing. Okay, that tra- so if we do include the song where children who have been watching fish and falling in love with them all movies suddenly watch a chef carve them up and sing about it. <laughs> <laughs> also, Ursula was kind of terrifying. She right. was those little grass things. What like whatever she turned people into, that part yeah, always terrifying. Yeah. Taking humanity away. That's but that not... song is a good song, though. <laughs> the villain song. Yeah, the villain songs are. She's also a great singer. Today, the industry's and audiences' nostalgia for both movies have led to revivals, with the animated mermaid now being live action and the live action turtles now animated again. So Which apparently the animated one was really good. I didn't get a chance to see it, but the live action Little Mermaid was fine. <laughs> I hate every single one of the live action Why Disney are we doing remakes. This? They're just always worse. And then they took like a movie that's an hour and a half and made it like two and a half hours. And I'm like, I'm so fucking bored. I already know how this movie ends. I do not mean for any of what I'm saying to sound like a conservative critique or a call for renewed censorship. I only want to suggest the degree to which the culture industry's boundary breaking was a capitalist endeavor undertaken in pursuit of a larger audience. There's also, of course, exceptions. There was Jim Henson's whole phase where he tried to make movies for adults, but couldn't quite like squeeze out of that audience. But yeah. he didn't merchandise Dark Crystal. No, or, I mean uh, it wasn't Labyrinth. really. He didn't couldn't have the David Bowie doll. No. Although apparently Mattel did create a David Bowie Barbie. Two of them. I'm not surprised by that because his <laughs> outfits. I'm sure they have like an Elton John one too. Uh, well, Stevie Nicks just got one. That's oh, why. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean those movies are not in any sense marketable at all, I feel like. Well, you would think, but so gremlins theoretically shouldn't be either. No, you're right, though. And they are, the the creatures in Labyrinth are cuter than the gremlins, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I have such admiration for Henson. He was certainly a flawed human being, but he, I think he was very careful about merchandising and that kind of stuff because he was aware of his appeal to a child audience. Yeah. Um, and But in those cases, when he was trying to create those movies, he was not following a Spielberg playbook. He literally wanted to create a movie for adults yeah. with puppets. So I, I'm that this is my way of saying what I'm talking about is not universally true, even of 80s movies, but it's this was a like a technique that they developed in 1984 specifically based on what had happened with the Star Wars movies and then carried forward. And it, it's kind of interesting, too, because like nowadays you see people 
um, like shitting on kids' movies for being too kitty yeah and it's kind of like but you know but at the end it's of the day you, it, it, yeah it's not <laughs> for you and i i agree with their arguments sometimes because they're like well kids movies don't have to be bad and i'm like i agree with that but there are like people who are making fun of like i see people on twitter yesterday making fun of frozen and they're like oh frozen's not very deep and i'm like because it's a fucking kids movie <laughs> it's for guys children, it's for guys. children <laughs> it's supposed to be mind-blowing for the kid to be like oh the love with true sister love and not love between a man and a woman or whatever right. like it's like and I'm sorry for you adult that that is not mind blowing, but it's not for you. <laughs> yeah. But that's the idea. We yeah. think that this media, we've been fooled into thinking that there is no line between yeah. media for children and media for yeah. adults mm -hmm. since 1984. The invention of the PG 13 rating had nothing to do with artistic freedom or a well considered understanding of what children should watch. And it had everything to do with marketing. Mm. Who cares if the gremlins are rated R, except insofar as you want to sell toys to children. And rated R movies always make way less than PG-13 and PG movies. Of course. Because you cut out that huge segment mm -hmm. of the audience. The industry could hardly have been thinking so far ahead, but it ended up creating a generation of children predisposed to enjoy products that blurred the line between childhood and adulthood, and so would continue to enjoy the same products for decades talking about barbie the marvel cinematic universe super mario the ninja turtles etc this is what happens when children raised in a post gremlins culture grow up and people like still to this day love gremlins i mean like not that mm -hmm. you shouldn't because like it does have its merits like it is a good movie for adults i'm almost praising its honesty yeah it's an interesting critique of itself. Yeah. But I think that it's largely well, and missed. it's really interesting too because like I, I was my um my boss used to work for Build a Bear and I yelled at her and told her Build a Bear jump scared me the other day on Twitter because they announced that they're making Build a Bear gremlins <laughs> and like of the ugly ones. So like oh, and I'm yeah. like and they're ugly and I hate them and it, even seeing them in cute Build a Bear form. <laughs> and then we were talking about it and I remember I love Batman, I love Lego. Watching the lego batman movie at one point lego gremlins are a villain in that movie and i remember being in the theater in that movie being terrified like why are the gremlins here but they made lego gremlin stuff too like it's like they're making all this they're still making it kind of for children even and for 80s kids yeah. who are adults mm -hmm. They create and consume more movies with adult themes centered around characters marketed as toys. This certainly has its upside in giving children the freedom to appropriate their favorite characters in their own creative play, but its downside is the strong attachment forged between children and the mass market, yielding decades of repetitive content. From Barbie to Batman to bronies, the 80s were destined to persist and return like glamorous plastic-coated revenants in new, rebooted, revived, repurposed stories made in the spirit of childhood for adults. Now I know you Barbie movie lovers are crying and yelling at your radios, but after they've made the fifth one of these, come back and tell me I was right. <laughs> Barbie dolls are coming back. Barbie movies are coming back. This Aww. is not the last one. This See, is I like the far original from the last one we've seen. Animated Barbie movies. Oh, those movies rocked. Princess and the Pauper. Oh, so that good. Movie. They all had like this very the cat like barked. straight up moral message, right? Yeah, 
It yeah. was cute. They were cute movies. Fairytopia. I I, I, I love Bibble. Oh my god. I'm a Bibble stan. <laughs> made for too. children though. Those yeah, are those made were for like, children. <laughs> yeah, because they had um, you know, the cat. It was like Wolfie. <laughs> it was Wolfie. And Serafina, because I yeah, loved that Serafina. cat. Shit. Uh, Mermaidopia was also. Oh <laughs> yeah. Here's the important question: Have I persuaded you? Yeah. That gremlins ruined my entire life. Yes. Ruined all of our lives. Well, I mean that it that essentially the '80s movie ruined childhood. I can see that. It pulled it into the cultural into the commercial sphere in ways that it never had been before. That is really. It's... We've lived commercialized childhoods. You guys have. As, oh, for yes, sure. I. I mean, I'm living it now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I am the adult that buys yes. the toys and goes and sees all. I'm literally wearing, like, a Disney sweatshirt right now. But how common is that now? Oh, it's... How I many mean, like, people is this? Everyone I work with. You I mean, can't imagine this in the World War II generation, right? These guys get no, back from the war in the they, 50s and the 60s and set up like, their suburban homes. And, and they're they like... buy action figures Popeye's and stuff. Yeah, they're not... Yeah! <laughs> right? They're not no. obsessing over these things Mm-mm. the way we do today. We yeah. are so tuned in to these, the mass culture industry. I'm not... Like, I'm, I don't want to suggest that like there wasn't a commercial impetus to sell to children going back like a thousand years. Maybe oh, yeah. not a thousand years. But as long as we had a concept for children, we tried to sell them toys. Yeah. But never were we so caught up in the mass market as what happened in the 80s when the lines between media and toy blurred and then the lines between adult and child blurred and the whole thing just became this mess of selling us toys yeah Ugh. gremlins cereal <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy i can't i really can't believe that they did that that they marketed to gremlins to children you bastards you bastards (laughs) any final thoughts john uh there was this one quick when you were talking about star wars it reminded me of a story i heard so you've you've probably either heard of this or can refute it but in (laughs) episode six the ewoks were originally intended to be wookies but they thought that Ewoks would be more marketable for children. Create mm. the merchandise. Yes. Yeah. So they so instead of the Wookies, they just created this new thing. It would have been so much cooler if it was Wookies. It would have been. Yeah. I hated the Ewoks. Ewoks are my <laughs> least favorite thing in Star Wars. Um I, I don't know anything about the Wookiee thing, but I do know that that uh that the Ewoks were definitely made to sell toys. And like every new thing, like um like they tried to in The Last Jedi, which I fell for this one because I love Were it the Pogs? The Porgs. Porgs, yes. right, right. Okay, right. so mm-hmm. uh for occult confessions listeners who are listening to this, I actually really love birds. Like birds are like <laughs> some of my favorite animals ever. And uh so the Porgs, when they came out, they merchandised the crap out of them and they're literally in the movie for like two seconds. Yeah. But but they're so cute. <laughs> but they say the reason that they did that was because the island that they filmed on had puffins flying around, so they created, like, a space bird or whatever. But oh. then, like, sure, I'm sure they did do that, but they didn't need to market it the way that they did. Mm. And the BB-8 um, plushies. And oh, the... but BB-8 is so fucking cute. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> I know. Also, in Ahsoka, in the newest show that just came out, I can't wait until they make toys of these little guys. She's running around... 
in this like horrible hellscape and then all of a sudden she like finds a rock and she accidentally kicks it and there's like a little dude who lives in the rock and he's like a hermit <laughs> crab guy and it turns out that the person they're looking for has been living with these hermit crab guys and I love them so much they're so cute <laughs> so like they, they're just really good at doing so, that in so Star here's, Wars here's another another uh tv or movie series i guess that kind of fits this mold in like minions oh yeah oh, the middle-aged sure. women love them some minions <laughs> yeah and they're so they'd be so easy to make because they're like literally all the same character except yeah. like slightly different from one another and then they speak gibberish so they can have any person ever voice act it like it, it's a good marketing thing like they they just changed an entire land at Universal to be Minions Land. Mm. And I didn't get to ride any of it, but it I've watched a ride through and it looks like the shittiest ride that's ever been made. <laughs> so but it's IP run amok, man. It is. And it was kind of weird because like I was at the Halloween Horror Nights thing and like I'm talking to this like super creepy voodoo guy and then I turn a corner and it's like there's a minion on the wall and I'm like, oh well, that takes me out of it a little bit. That... <laughs> I'm not at some creepy circus. I'm just in Universal with this creepy guy talking to me. I mean the whole concept of IP, right? Intellectual property, it, it it's it's sort of like the the notion that we're content creators. Like it's so insulting to what we do. Even with the podcast, like I'm not a content creator. I'm a writer. <laughs> I'm not yeah. creating content. I'm I'm telling a story. I, or you know, you're telling a story, right? In your episodes. In mm-hmm. this case, I'm making an argument that is a kind of a story. But come on, like. But that's what we would be called. We would be called content creators. I think that's such bullshit. And, or that we have intellectual property. I mean, we don't. But you know that these stories become intellectual property it, it suggests that they're a capitalist thing not an artistic thing anymore mm-hmm. the art is gone or the storytelling is gone and replaced with this whole other mindset yeah. that's purely about merchandising and sales have you seen like the new phenomenon because like winnie the pooh just became like um yeah. public domain and now there's like all not these... disney's winnie the no, pooh no 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 but, but the original winnie the pooh yes yeah. and so people and are honey. taking it and like they made a horror movie about it and yeah, it looks stupid and they're making a sequel to that horror movie because it made so much money and then um there's Just like a new gimmick. horror game coming out about winnie the pooh and stuff like that why? like why because winnie the pooh and horror it just seems like an odd combination i, I guess because they think it's like funny slash like i think it's almost like gremlins where they're trying to be edgy where it's like oh this is that thing for kids but it's yeah. scary make it for adults uh-huh. right yeah there you go i guess it's just drawing on the old playbook mm-hmm didn't didn't Mickey become public domain? Sort of the original one. Yeah, the like Steamboat okay, Willie okay, one. Gotcha. And then they keep like updating his design, so like he'll never be fully uh, like public domain Disney's and stuff. Yeah. But eventually, it will catch up to the Mickey and the Red Pants. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I don't. <laughs> that's like a whole thing. They have like a bunch of shit, and then they've also changed lobby to have a lot of laws changed so that Mickey will stay um, their own personal thing for a while. Yeah, time itself caught up with them. Yep. <laughs> what do we say to end this? Keep your thank you for riding and please keep your hands and arms <laughs> well, inside maybe, the car. I don't know. Well, on a mic flip, do you want to say something different? I, I was a strange ride still. I, I uh, appreciate you riding with us. <laughs> thank you for thank you for writing strange ride say? um thank mm, mm, what do i say thank you for riding along with us 
Watch your step as you exit, and remember to take all personal belongings with you.